Today, we are going to be diving into the Gospel of John for our our lesson this morning. And we're in a place that's in the midst of Jesus' ministry. And this is right after John the Baptist has been killed. And Jesus, he just wants to be alone after this. But then crowds come to him, and he ends up feeding them with five loaves and two fish. And then after this, this is where we're going to be in our story. We're at a point in this scripture that's a very common and very popular passage. And Jesus comes to the disciples doing this miracle. And something that's rather unique about this passage is Peter asked to do the miracle with Jesus. So let us read the word of God. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down on the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his head, hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat where the wind had died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for you. Let us pray together. God, we have been faithful servants of you. We desire as a body to be the hands and feet for your kingdom. And we want to bring your kingdom down here to earth. And we know that you are calling us higher and farther with this move and where we're going. And wherever you take us, lead us, guide us, prepare our hearts. This sermon series that we have been preaching It's something we desperately needed to hear. You have been speaking through the words of Mike, Simon, and I, and we know that you won't stop that today. Use Mike. Let him be the vessel in which your words are delivered today. Teach us. Guide us. Take Pastor Mike and use his words for only your purpose and your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. I have a couple of prefatory things to the sermon I'd like to share with you. The first is a video. Can we play that? In a dark time when the church had lost its way, God created a movement that would change the world. As a nation's economy moved from agrarian to industrial, a few reaped the benefits and amassed great wealth. But many were displaced and marginalized. Life was cheap. Children labored in the harshest of conditions. Drunkenness and debauchery were common, and the masses lived in poverty and squalor. At the same time, the church had become powerless and ineffective, unconcerned about the physical needs of the poor or the spiritual desperation of the lost. 
content to be little more than a social institution, the church was irrelevant to the brokenness it was created to heal. But God, in his love for the world, warmed the heart of a young clergyman at a prayer meeting on Aldersgate Street, who would later write, I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. With passion and power, John Wesley began to preach salvation by grace alone, called upon the followers of Jesus to live holy lives, and worked for the transformation of society. Misunderstood, opposed, and even attacked by the very church he loved and desired to save, John Wesley would not be deterred claiming the gospel in the coal mines and the open fields, riding on horseback over a quarter of a million miles, preaching 40,000 sermons, and organizing new believers into small groups for encouragement and accountability. Wesley began a mighty movement that would convert hundreds of thousands, save a nation, and revive the church. Methodism crossed the Atlantic to a new land, taking to heart Wesley's charge to be prepared at a moment's notice to pray, preach, or die. The early circuit riders struck out into the American frontier. So difficult and dangerous was their mission that half of them died before they were 30 years old. But because of their sacrifice, for decades, Methodism would be the most powerful movement of God on the continent reforming the morals of a nation and reaching lost souls who needed to hear the gospel. Now, in our time, a new movement is being born. In the hearts and minds of believers who long for God to do in our time what he has done for. In the midst of a culture that is broken, hurting, and lost. At a time when the church again seems to have lost its way, men and women are praying for a powerful move of God's Holy Spirit. They desire to join together and seek God's blessing that the gospel might be proclaimed with power. The church might be renewed and a hurting culture might find hope and life in Jesus Christ. For the last 2,000 years, the gospel, wherever it has been proclaimed faithfully and lived out by servant communities who love and care for the world as their Lord did. This gospel has for two millennia spoken to every culture and tribe who has heard it. Transforming hearts and bringing hope to desperate souls. In our own time, courageous servants like the early circuit riders and like Wesley himself are sharing the good news of Jesus Christ in hostile places. And witnessing a harvest unlike any other time in history. Today, a new movement is being launched. A diverse global connection of warm-hearted Wesleyans filled with gratitude for those who have gone before them. United by their commitment to the Orthodox Christian faith. Compelled to tell the old, old story in the most innovative ways. Committed to the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Dedicated to serving the poor 
and disenfranchised. Certain that we are to walk into the future together. And unashamed of the gospel of Christ, which is the power of God and the hope of the world. professor at the United Theological Seminary always reminds us that the church is growing. United Methodism and Wesleyan movement is growing, just not in North America. Uh, I'm here to tell you as a pastor that uh, that is not acceptable for me. And the Wesleyan Covenant uh, Association has risen up, and I happen to be the, uh, the president of the state, uh, the Iowa state chapter of this. And so there's going to be a, an event this coming Saturday at Altoona, from 10 to 3 o'clock, there's been bulletin announcements. It's in your Marian Methodist. Uh, we've got a table out in the back. And I, I've seen that uh, oh, a dozen or so have already signed up on the sheets to ride and get there together. And we're going to do some carpooling uh, if you'd like to go. There are uh, clipboards at the front of every section. And I'd ask that you do the Methodist thing and pass them back and hope that you'll come uh, and uh, lean into that. I want this talk to begin with the obvious. We love our kids. That's the obvious. We love our kids. An appropriate Christian response into the milieu in which we stand right now is complex. And I do not have all the answers. I will quickly share that. And as a pastor, it's appropriate to offer my counsel to you the congregation that I direct as leader. Like you, I've been brought to my knees looking for, praying for, and asking for a solution regarding the pain caused by the violence done to the children in our age. And my partial counsel is as follows, and I do not think for a minute that I have all the answers. But it starts with this. First, Christians need to regain shock in their lives. We need to be shocked when atrocities happen. We need to let that shock move to action. And we need to recover that in our lives because so often we hear about Newton and we hear about Parkland and we hear about Columbine and we just change the channel or click to another website. We we need to recover the fact that atrocities should shock us as Christians. Our society, secondly, must find pathways of agreeing upon a rudimentary code of of social ethics. We need to be able to get to a place in our culture today where we can say, that stuff is their stuff, don't take their stuff. That is their life, it is not yours to take. And that rudimentary code of ethics and morals has slipped away. And the main teaching units, that is the family, whatever their makeup today, must be resourced, must be strengthened and encouraged to, to, to raise children within a moral framework of a cooperative society. And the cooperative society may be the key there. We must be better neighbors. Our Lord calls us to be good neighbors. We must be neighbors that consciously and conscientiously become more neighborly. Because it's through that we get to know each other. The more we know each other, the least likely we are to want to hurt each other. Churches, synagogues, and mosques are to play a vital role in the healing of our people and the empowerment of faithful adherence to the faith to do the work that their passion and their expertise is calling them through God's hands. Some of you 
are to do specific things right now. Some of you have expertise in certain things and you're to pursue that as a Christian disciple. There are no sidelines anymore. The breaking and the broken mind cannot be ignored. We're in a mental health crisis at every level of our culture. And some of us need to take courageous steps to combat that. Some of us that have ability and inclination need to take steps. Legislation, of course, has a role. Common sense, love, honor, respect for others, those can never be legislated. You can't legislate that. And yet, regardless, using the words of today, regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on, we must encourage our legislators to work together to heal and protect the young. They must work together. And we should be encouraging that. And those who work in our schools today need our support. Administrators, teachers, aides, and support staff for generations were treated as advocates for students and the development of students as citizens. Sadly, a seismic shift occurred in our lifetime. And many people have taken an adversarial role regarding educators, administrators, support staff. This will not grow our students, and this will not grow our society. These moments call for us to advocate for educators and help them be effective in the role that they are called to fulfill in this society. And students, and there's some of you here today, more later, students, you have a role too. For the most part, those that have risen up to do violence have risen up from amongst you. Your class, your bus, and your table mates are aching. They are hurting. We are Christians. We must reach out to them in concern to find them help, to demand help for the hurting, and work very, very hard to make the culture in your school kinder. You have this opportunity and responsibility. Now, I know that there's a lot more. I I promised ahead of time I wouldn't be comprehensive. But we do need to see that the solution and the situation is complex. All of us have thought a lot. All of us have prayed. Many of us have opined on this matter. I get that all that's part of the process. This I believe. And this I'm committed to. The spiritual leaders of this generation, that's you and me, need to step into this challenge. There are no sidelines anymore. If you're on the sidelines, frankly, if you're on the sidelines, frankly, we're part of the problem. We need to be part of the solutions. And to heal this, to heal our culture, it will take the loving spirit of God and his disciples helping in all the ways they can. Would you join me in prayer? God, we love our kids. We wish that what was not happening, what was happening was not happening. We, we do wish that. We cannot prevent that which has already happened, Lord, and yet we can speak into that which is going on. We can assist and try to break this cycle. Lord, children go to school to be educated. People go to restaurants to eat. People come to church to worship. We live in a society that sometimes is uncooperative with those things. 
Help us to find a way by your strong hand that we can all step into this, that we can drop a pebble into the pond of our lake and those circles that spread out from it concentrically intercede and intercept and mesh with each other's so that we might be the ones that during our day may accomplish by what your strong hand you intended is a peaceable society in which love is not tossed back and forth, but it's the ruler of the day. In advance of your motivation of us, Jesus, in advance of your spirit that comes to heal us all, thank you. We will endeavor. Amen. I didn't think I could talk about kids without talking about kids. I get an amen to anything. We're in a hard moment. And, and I, I want us to, to go forward on Camp Sunday. And I know some of you came to Camp Sunday and said, oh good, it's the last time before he starts wearing a tie. But it's, it's more than that. See, Camp Sunday it is, it is a call to the students in our church. And at some deep level, it's a call to you to help the students in the church. Because this statistic is important to know. 93% of the people that come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior make that commitment before they're 21 years of age. Which is why we throw ourselves at camp. We throw ourselves at discipleship classes. And we expect and we hope that those of you that cannot go will do two things. Pray for us and contribute to the success of the kids. So many of our students uh, get your aid. And for that I thank you. And they're able to grow through camp, through summer games and some of the others. Uh, and, and we've set a goal, a high goal of how many students we want to take uh, to camp this year. And so we hope you'll help. Right downstairs today, there's a breakfast that they're putting on for you. I know they were here working on it all day yesterday. I know some of you smelled it. Some of you have already had it. And if you've already had it, go down and have another one. But go down and, and love up our kids after after worship today. And, and if you would, contribute. If you want to know, it costs $325 to send a kid to camp uh, for a week. And they'd love any part of that help they can. And when I come to Camp Sunday, it's not that I just don't like wearing ties, although that's true. I have the opportunity to preach a little bit campy. Because uh, the one thing I'll change for sure is that I'll preach less than an hour, which is usually my default camp sermon length. Maybe. If I don't wake you people up soon, I won't. So here we go. When we go to camp, when we take students from here to there, when we take them out of their environment for a week, they know that whatever preacher, whether it's me or Cam Scott or John Galky or Simon Campbell or Kelsey or whoever stands in the microphone, this is what's going to happen. There will be a call to faith. There will be a call to a relationship with Jesus Christ. There will be a call to discipleship. And the call won't necessarily leave them sitting in their seats. So let's go. Here we go. Matthew 14 that Kelsey read just a few moments ago has no hidden messages in it. It's one of those beautiful things about scripture that sometimes we understand exactly what the Lord is doing. There was this expression a few years ago. It's, it's dead now. It's called YOLO. Do you remember YOLO? It kind of came and went. YOLO, it's capital Y-O-L-O. It means you only live once. 
But, but YOLO used to be yelled out by kids and others saying, hey, you only live once, which was a gateway in their mind. Well, do whatever you want because you only live once. But we need to understand this simple truth about the phrase YOLO, and it's why I came by to preach this morning. When we say you only live once, that is the truth. And with that living that you have one opportunity at, you have choices to make. Not only now, but always. And the choice you make is what you're going to spend your living on. Not the money that you get in your pocket, not that living, but the actual living of every single moment of your entire lives. And so this morning, I'm going to make an unapologetic call. I I won't apologize ever for standing for Jesus. And I'm going to make an unapologetic call to remind you of this simple Christian truth. That faith is risking our living for Christ and his cause. That's what faith is about. Faith is risking our living day to day, moment to moment, decision to decision, for Christ and his cause. And that's why Matthew 14, even though the main characters are Peter and his disciples, is a story about us. See, we're people that love security. We love to be safe. And there's the 12 disciples in the boat. And they're freaking out. They're, they're working across the lakes. The waves are high. The winds are blowing. And they say, whoa, there's a ghost on the lake. Now they just left the guy. He was familiar to them. Who is it? Is it a ghost? And he says, take courage. I am here. Peter says, If it's you, Lord, tell me to come. See, this is a story about security and faith. If it's you. But Jesus, he doesn't go into a long sermon. Preachers do sermons. Thank you. There we go. Atta girl. Atta girl. We're in now. Jesus just simply says, come. Come. The whole sermon. To to step towards God's destiny for you, you must step away from your security. But but we love security. Yesterday it was rainy and cold. I don't know. Do some of you love cozy? My, my wife loves cozy. So she had like four pairs of sweats on, two pairs of slippers, long wool socks yesterday afternoon. She was not leaving the building we own, right? She's in the house, working on the computer, YouTube, doing a little laundry. And she says, oh, it's just a cozy afternoon. We like being cozy. We like security, right? Watch this. Um, Just raise your hand if you own a car. All right, pretty good. You guys were better than the last group. A lot in the last group looked around to say, well, are you going to raise your hand? Because I think I own a car. See, we we don't want to be the only one. I was like, well, and your wife's hitting you. He's like, you own four. Raise your hand, you know. But but we want to not stick out. We don't want to be out there on the lake by ourselves. We love security, which is why Jesus says, take courage. I'm here. You're you're safe and sound in me. No matter where you are, I'll be there before you. No matter where you're going, I'll be with you. No matter what's going on, I'm present with you. Does that embolden you? Does that embolden you to step Towards God and away from your security? Are you willing to risk your security to pursue your destiny on one word from the Lord? Are you willing to risk that? 
Now, listen, it's no surprise that Jesus is walking on the water. There's not a single one of us that came up through Sunday school, and it really shouldn't have been a surprise to the disciples when Jesus is walking on the water. They just left the moment where he fed 5,000 people with a handful of sardines and a couple of dinner rolls, right? That, that's what happened right before. They've already seen him healing and they're going towards a bunch more healings. So when Jesus is walking on the water, and I don't, you know, I've seen this on video, Jesus, you know, going across the water, but he's just walking across the water. The waves and the winds are all there. They shouldn't be surprised by this, but all they see is the winds. And what they hear is Jesus saying, come. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. The, the, the call to come out on the water, that's not just for Peter. You, you, we need to understand that. It, it's for every believer. Every believer is called out on the water of life for some great task that God has planned for you. There's 12 guys in the boat. And you know what the, not, you, you know what the majority opinion was. Look, boys, it's safe and secure. Hold on to the gunnels. Don't go anywhere. Our best chance is in the boat. And Peter's like, whom, out on the water. Because Jesus says, come on, come. See, the come is for all of us in the boat that are holding on to the gunnels of the boat, knowing that we're supposed to walk out on the water, but we're going to stand fast and hold on. But let me help you understand this. You know, some of us want to sit on the gunnel of the boat, one foot in the boat, and we're going to slap that water with the other foot to see if it'll hold us up. Just get back in the boat. Others of us are going to sit in the boat because we know it's too scary out there. But there's always a few of us know, i got to go. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You, the individual and distinct you, every single one of us, is important to God's plan in the world. Understand that phrase I started with. When Jesus hears the word YOLO, he says, yep. Don't waste it. You only live once. Don't waste your life. Will you respond to that to which you are called? And I know that so many of us are called to stuff, and even I was making a call at the beginning of this talk. We're called to stuff, and we say... Well, I know I'm called to that, but I don't know how to, whatever it is. You got to imagine, I'm 20 years old, and God calls me to be a ministry, and I'm like, I don't know how to do that. God says, yeah, no kidding, we've met. You know? Right? You know, you say about whatever it is that God's calling you, I, I don't know how to do that. And God's like, yeah, I know. But that's why I'm calling you, because I'll give you what you need to do it. You, you don't need to understand fully to obey immediately. That's Peter's circumstance. You, do you understand that? We don't need to understand every single thing to obey. Standing in the boat of life, we want to know what's going to happen next. I want to know what's going to happen next. But listen, I'm looking around here. There's a lot of dads in here. Some of you guys are dads or have been dads. Let, let's be honest about this. Children, I'm sorry about this. But this is simply true. If I would have fully understood the pressure, if I would have fully understood the responsibility and the huge economic impact, the difficulty, the sadness, and the drama of raising two teenage girls, I'm not so sure. 
I'm not so sure. If I'd understood fully, if I'd obeyed the call to be a parent. But what God calls you to is this. With what you know right now. With what you have in your hands. With what you have in your hearts. And no more. Come. Come. But take courage. Because I'm here. See, faith is risking your living for Christ and his cause, knowing we will not fully understand everything God wants of us. We just won't go anyway. When T and I were younger, we lived in the West. We got pretty good at skiing. And sometimes, you know, when you're skiing down well-manicured slopes, you say, we need a little bit more of a challenge. So we became pretty good at what's called tree skiing, which means you just ski off the side of the run. You go into these trees because, you know, in the Rocky Mountains, there's lots of them. And you go into the snow, and sometimes the snow is so exciting, and there's dips and holes, and sometimes you get into snow like this. And those of you that have met Teresa, that's a problem for her, right? You get into snow like this, and it's fun, you know, and all of a sudden you might pop off beside a couple trees and all of a sudden you're in the air for five or eight feet, feet. But I'll tell you why we loved it so much. Is that the risk amplified the adventure. You really weren't sure. All you were really sure of is that gravity wouldn't stop working, right? You were going to go downhill. And it, 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 but, but the idea of not knowing what came next or having to be on the top of your game to ski safely through... That risk amplified the adventure. And life in Christ, i got to tell you, the risk amplifies the adventures. You have to take some. There was a woman probably more important to educating young black girls in the South 100 years ago in Florida and South Carolina, starting schools. She was a Methodist layperson named Mary Bethune. Uh, You've probably heard of the school Bethune-Cookman that's named after her. But she wrote in one of her books this. Look at the screens. May our faith, sprinkled as it is sometimes with doubt. Doesn't that sound like us? May our faith, sometimes sprinkled as it is with doubt. May it nonetheless grant us the vision of the glory of God. See, for a person, for a Christian to say, I have no doubts, is a person saying, I am no longer human. We're people. We like security. We like to know what we know, what we know, what we know. But we doubt. So, so let me say this. Let me, let me say a good word about doubt. If you follow the advice of her, let doubt be an opportunity for faith and trust. Let your doubt be an opportunity for pe- faith and trust. Peter doubted. He'd spent his whole few years with Jesus. He left his occupation to, to, to see Jesus. He had seen Jesus bring people back from the dead. And yet he says, if it's you, Lord, he doubts what he's seeing. He doesn't believe his own eyes. If, he's, if it's you, he doubts. And Jesus simply says, come. And Peter worked out his doubts on the walk. He didn't work them out in the boat. He worked him out on the walk. Not before. The call is trust God and walk towards him. Now here's what Peter realizes. He's out there walking on the lake. He realizes, I can't do this. Right? I can't do this alone. So what happens? 
complete fail. You know, you know, if you got the old Pac-Man, right? He's walking on the water. All of a sudden, he's in the water. He can't swim. We know later in the gospel he can swim because he jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus. He's a fisherman. He spent his whole life on the lake. His failure is so great that he can't even be himself. He can't swim. And he goes into the water and simply says the right thing. Lord, save me. Jesus puts him right back up on the lake. And he points his life in Christ's direction. And later, after this doubt, after some other doubts, you know, we know a little bit about Peter. After some other doubts, he is empowered by God's Holy Spirit and faithfully risks his living and ultimately his life for Christ and his cause. But his counsel is simply this to later Christians. That's you and me. Obey. Just go. If Jesus says come, just go. Trust the one who's already where you want to be. You know, we have a fellow on staff. You, you saw him preach last week. Simon was great last week. I saw it on the internet. It's wonderful. And you have a good leader there. But he also has a lot of other skills. And, and Pastor Mike, even though I'm the same age as Bill Gates probably, and I'm in Steve Jobs' generation, sometimes I have a little problem with the computer stuff. I use them all the time. I use cell phones, all that kind of stuff. But I've always had difficulty taking a file from my computer and putting it on thumb drive. And this week, I needed it. I needed to take it home. I wanted to do some work. And I said, Simon, help me to put that on there into this right here. And he says, sit down, old man, in a nice way. He said that. And he says, just drag that onto there. And I was like, well, that's awesome. And it's easy. He says, yeah, I know. But I knew that he knew. And I knew that he was way in front of me on some of those kind of digital things. So I trusted in the one that was already where I wanted to be. Peter sees Jesus out there. And he says, I'm just going to walk. I'm just going to walk towards him. But our security-loving little hearts look at the Jesus that's out on the water saying, and we say, what if? What if we fail? What if we goof it up? What if we're not good enough? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? Well, here's the Scripture's counsel. In Joshua, the first chapter, it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Faith in Jesus is an all or nothing proposition. There's no dabbling in Christianity. That's that's part of what this Wesleyan Covenant thing that I showed you about is. There's so many churches that are dabbling in Christianity. They're playing with the Bible. They're playing with spirituality. But faith in Jesus is not dabbling. It's an all or nothing proposition. God promises us. He promises his presence is what we need, and it's all that we'll need. It is capable of erecting the universe. It's capable of putting your body together. It's capable of putting your eternal soul within you. You can trust in that. So God's permanent presence with us is trustworthy, and risk trusting it completely is the call to discipleship. Because God will use those who hold on to the least.
God will use those of us who, who hold on to the least. Do you remember the story of Cortez? You got that back in, in junior high history, or some of you have read more. When Cortez got to the New World, they got all the foodstuffs off the boat. They got all the stuff they needed to grow crops. Then do you remember what they did? They burned the boats. Cortez didn't want to give them a fallback plan. He says, burn the boats. Can you imagine? You've left everything you're going, and you're like, I'm on an adventure. But then you say, well, it's okay if the adventure doesn't work. Well, we guess we're here. And that's what Christians are asked to do. Believers are to be fully committed in life and action, even if we make mistakes, even if we don't have everything we need. Isaiah 41 says this. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's strength is guaranteed. God's design is oneness, and it's dependable. And the call of risking our living for Christ and his cause is there. My favorite line in this sermon, I'm going to repeat it twice. And then we're going to go, because in the next services, the band's going to be up behind me. And if it, if it was at summer games, the band would already be playing, because the students know what's coming. Because what's coming next is a call to, to give your life to Christ. And that's why I said this. I don't know where you're going. You say this to Christ. I don't know where you're going. But wherever it is, I'd rather risk drowning with you than sit here another minute. I hope that every Christian that's been in the church more than a couple weeks has that kind of mentality. Lord, I don't know where you're going, but wherever it is, I'd rather risk drowning with you than sit here another moment. This is a real call. I'm not going to call you down at this service. If you're a bunch of high school kids, I'd be moving towards this because I would be asking the students, if you're ready to risk, to really risk your life for God's sake, then I want you to come populate this altar. I want you to come down here and have pastors pray on you. I want to give you the opportunity to claim this. I would say this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Is today your day? But I'd say that to you too. Is today your day? Is this altar the place where you want to be, spiritually or physical? Is this the day you want to say, Lord, I don't know what other plans I have, but my main plan is to go with you and you alone. You say in in deep ways, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. I know. I know that your clock is ticking. I know that there's a breakfast downstairs. But I know for somebody in here, This might be your moment too. So I'm not going to deny that. But I'll tell you this. And I'm very leery about this when I go to camps. Because I believe that I'm an able enough preacher. Some of the guys that are there are a little bit more able than me. But I'm an able enough preacher that I can get any kid to come to Christ for 10 minutes. And then after that it gets really hard. After the first 10 minutes it's really hard to be a Christian. And so I'm going to call you today. If it's your day to say, I have decided to follow Jesus, and I don't ever turn back, I don't ever plan to turn back, then while we're taking this offering, I just want you to say a prayer that goes something like this. Lord, I'm sorry for all my sins. Please forgive me. Holy Spirit, come live in my heart forever. That's the prayer of a believer. That's the prayer of one that said, I'm not going to turn back.
Dearest Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the desire and the ability to give back to you, to put things in the offering plate that show the work of our hands and our desire to be in in league with you as you build this kingdom, build your kingdom in this place. And so, Lord, it's very simple. We just thank you for all your blessings and our ability to give back to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This week, step out of the boat, go forth in faith, and uh, just let Christ guide your way. Amen.